Okay, if you have Bibles with you this morning or a Bible app, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to take a break from Galatians uh, this week. I sense the Lord leading me in a different direction. This is actually what happened. I sat down and kind of on automatic pilot said, okay, what's the next verses in Galatians? And read them over and spent about an hour writing what I thought was a brilliant introduction to the next sermon. And I said, oh, I need to save this. And I went to save it and poof, it disappeared. I don't know what happened. The program crashed. I lost everything. And so I just sat there for a second like, Lord, are you trying to tell me to go in a different direction? And kind of sense like, yeah, that's what he wanted me to do. And so we'll get back to Galatians next week. When I do an extended series, like John was a massively extended series, and Galatians, I mean, we've been in Galatians since February. It seems to be a pretty extended series as well. I have fun with it. I don't feel like there's any rush. It's the Word of God. We're going to be here anyway. Why not break it down and take it a bite at a time? And I really do believe that Galatians is as appropriate uh, for today as it was the day it was written. I think it, I think it is now word uh, to the church. Um, but in an extended series, sometimes for the sake of the, of the listeners, it's, um, it's helpful to uh, break things up a little bit and um, so it doesn't get monotonous. Anyway, I want to change things a little bit today. And uh, today I want to talk about focus. I want to especially, specifically focus, uh, address the topic of focus in difficult times, focus in dark times, focus in painful times. Um, focus on dark days. Anybody here ever have dark days? Uh, I, I do. I have dark days every once in a while. I'll wake up in the morning. <laughs> we got two hands going over there. I'll wake up in the morning, and I, I really can't put a finger on it. Why? But it just, it's a dark day. It's a, a matter of fact, it's a language that Nadine and I use with each other. And I'll, and I'll look at her. i say, you know, she'll say, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I'm having a dark day. And so we'll pray, and She'll give me a hug and encourage me. And, and sometimes that's, that's enough to bring relief. Sometimes, you know what? I just got to endure it to the end of the day. And then the next day, his mercies are new every morning. But there are dark days, you know? Sometimes they're, at least for me. I hope you don't experience them. But I, I'm just being honest. Sometimes I can identify why. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's spiritual. Some days, the best that I know is that it's dark. That's all I can figure out. And I've discovered on my journey, I'm sure you have too, that my focus matters, especially on those dark days. Again, I don't know about you, but I've learned this about myself. And maybe it's just human nature. That I tend to think that everything is all about me. <laughs> that... I really am at the center of the universe, and it all revolves around my life. You know? I have a tendency to, to view most of life, what's happening, how, when, through a perspective of how does all of this impact me? All the more so on the dark days. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, I was taking a flight um, out of Dallas, DFW airport, uh, back, back home. And um, as I was getting ready to head out to the airport, I felt the Spirit of God speak to me. It wasn't a bad day. It wasn't one of those dark days. It was just a normal day. I'm traveling back home. I'd 
gone either for a ministry trip or something. And um, as I'm preparing to head out for the airport, I felt the Spirit of God speak to my heart. It wasn't an audible voice. It was that still small voice in my heart. And this is what God said to me. He says, be at peace. I'm in this. That's all he said. I know that's kind of interesting. And I kind of got excited. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is awesome. I'm going to have a divine appointment today, right? Or I'm going to have an encounter with who's ever going to be sitting next to me on a flight or, you know, something like that. It never happened. Instead, I got to the airport. They had this crazy long extended delay. My flight had gotten canceled and trying to reschedule it with just an ocean of people all angry and frustrated trying to, you know, get new flights out. It was just a difficult day. And this is what I realized. This is the lesson I learned that day. You see, God was in it, but I wasn't. See, what he told me was, be at peace. I'm in this, right? I assumed that that meant it was, it was all about me. My instant assumption was that I was going to have something spectacularly wonderful, unique, or spiritual, or special happen that day. No, that being in it part was him. <laughs> to the be at peace part was what he spoke to me. <laughs> that day, in that situation, it wasn't about me at all. I was just a small cog and a much bigger wheel. Just a small piece of a bigger puzzle. God was doing something that day. Because he told me he was. I'm in this. It affected me. But I wasn't the central character in the drama. <laughs> it made me think. It humbled me. So God Almighty wasn't actually diverting the flight schedule of DFW Airport, Delta Airlines, just for me. He could have. <laughs> he would have, but he didn't. At least not that day. Not for me. But he did it for someone else. And it impacted me. Sometimes there's a bigger picture. And in such times, I've discovered that focus is helpful. So today I want to talk about focus. I think focus is always important, but especially important in difficult times. And i got four points uh, for you today concerning focus. Temporal versus eternal focus. Soul versus spirit focus. Earthly versus heavenly focus. And self versus selfless focus. So we're going to jump in by taking a look at a, a couple of verses uh, from 2 Corinthians 14. I'm going to begin in verse 16, read through 18. Paul writes, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an external glory that far outweighs them all. So... We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Just, just a little bit of context before I jump in. Some biblical scholars believe that 2 Corinthians is actually a combination of two letters, both dealing with early church politics and interpersonal church conflicts. They think the first letter comprises the first nine chapters, the second letter comprises chapters 10 to 13, and um, throughout the ages it's been combined into one, and what we refer to now as 2 Corinthians. 
This letter, much like Paul's letter to the Galatians, allows us to see an insight into Paul, his passion for the gospel, his deep love for the churches, and the pain he felt over misunderstanding, over rejection, and attack, plus the cost of his suffering. So, focus is important in the good times. It could be life-saving in the bad times. Verse 18 makes it clear that Paul had understanding of this. He says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Paul saw the really big picture. Maybe if Paul was taking that flight with me that day, he'd have realized what I didn't realize. That God was in it, but it wasn't about me that day. Focus. Have you ever noticed, driving your car, that if something to the right you know, catches your attention, and you're driving and you, and you see it, and you kind of just kind of keep looking at it, turning your head, that you'll notice when you, when you focus back on the traffic that you veered in the direction of your focus, right? <laughs> I mean, even, I don't know, I've been driving for like 40 years now, and still I, I catch myself doing it every so often. I remember when my son was little and we'd play catch together. And uh, we were in our, we, were, we had a beautiful side yard and a nice house. This is West Virginia. And uh, we're, we're playing catch or football. And so he throws the ball and it goes way over my head this way. <laughs> he throws it and it goes way over my head the other side. I said, Tom, look. I said, and I'm running after the ball. <clears throat> I said, okay, look. When you throw the ball, I don't even want you to look at me. I said, I want you to look at this button right here in the middle of my shirt. You see that button? I said, focus like with laser beam focus on that button and now throw the ball. And he threw the ball and came right to me. He thought that his dad was the smartest guy who ever lived on the whole planet, right? And I was just glad I had to keep running after the ball. We had basketball courts across the street from the house. He loved to play basketball. So we're out there and it's the same story all over again. He's taking a shot, missing the backboard, missing the rim, missing everything. And the ball would go bouncing across to one of the other courts. Run after the ball. I said, hey, remember we played football? And I told you to focus on the button. He's like, yeah. I said, now we're going to do that again. I said, but I don't want you to focus on the backboard. I don't even want you to focus on the rim. I said, you see that little piece of metal that, that attaches the rim to the backboard? It's just a little tiny piece of metal. Yeah, I see that. I want you to fix your eyes on that little tiny piece of metal, and let's see what happens. Basket after basket after basket go in. Again, his father's a genius. <laughs> he thinks I'm brilliant. <laughs> focus matters. John Paul Jackson used to say that what we focus on, we make room for. And boy, it's a true statement. And so it makes me wonder, what am I making room for? What am I focusing on? Especially in those difficult days. Especially in those hard times. What am I focusing on? Now, sometimes, us preachers, we preach to ourselves. And to be honest with you, that's what I'm doing today. This message is inspired by what I've been experiencing lately. And so I'm preaching to myself today, and you have the privilege of listening in. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> I've, uh, for, for a few weeks now, I've just been battling physical pain of one sort or another. Um, I have a nagging knee injury, and, and uh, it was bothering me enough a few weeks back that 
From Walker Funny, I actually threw out my back. And boy, I threw it out pretty good, about as bad as I have maybe ever. And so, you know, I've been back and forth to my family doctor so many times, I feel like we should invite him for Christmas at this point. And, and so he gave me drugs and some rest and a little TLC from Nadine. And eventually the back got better. In the meantime, I had surgery on my hand. I was having some pain with one of my fingers when I played guitar. And so we got that addressed. And, and so the finger was painful before the surgery. And, you know, after surgery, there's some pain. And it was an infection to deal with. And, Boy, it was kind of aggravating, but eventually that got better. <clears throat> but in the process, my knee has just continued to bother me. And e even this morning, it's still pretty sore. Doctors gave me a new recipe of medications and anti-inflammatory and something else to address the, uh, the nerve pain. And it seems to be helping, but it's, um, it's still hurting. It's still sore. Anyway, it's been pain, physical pain, for a while now. And we're all aware that pain is a distraction. And I know there are others of you here who have dealt with chronic pain of one sort or another. Making the need for focus all the more important in those painful times. So, <clears throat> I'm not preaching at you. I'm not saying that any of you have a problem with focus. I'm reminding myself today and hoping it will be valuable to you as well how necessary it is to maintain our focus in difficult times. We all experience pain. All of us do. Sometimes it's physical pain. Sometimes it's emotional pain. You know, there's, there's all kinds of pain. And it's just as real for, for one person as it is for the other. So, my four points. The first one, temporal focus versus an eternal focus. The verse we looked at already, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. But what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Decision-making is a good example for this text. What I like to call a dipstick test. I put my dipstick in, come on out and take a reading. Am I a court low? <laughs> Do I need to add some more? In our decision-making process, are we making short-term temporal decisions or long-term eternal decisions? You know, when you're in pain, What's the number one thing you want? You want the pain to stop, right? And it's very tempting to make temporal decisions. <clears throat> I think that's how we have some people get addicted to prescription pain medication. They just want the pain to stop. And so in the moment, it's really painful, and they take another pill. And maybe they take them more often than they're prescribed, or, or they're on them long. It happens, right? We take, make temporal decisions instead of long-term eternal decisions. We do what's expedient instead of what's wise. We were faced with choices between good, better, and best. What's right for me right now or, you know, what's just right? And so pain complicates matters for us, physical or emotional pain, like I said. It can blind us because we just want the pain to stop. And we want it to stop as soon as possible. <clears throat> Again, talking about temporal versus eternal decisions. Sometimes I look at it this way, what versus how. Do we make decisions based on what God has said to us or what he's told us to do? Or do we make decisions based on how we're going to accomplish it? What always precedes how? What always precedes how? Listen to me. The what 
always proceeds to have. That's the way of faith. The way of faith is we know what God wants us to do before we know how we're going to do it. And sometimes it's terrifying. Jesus told his disciples, we're going to the other side of the lake. That's the what. Right? And so what do the disciples do? They use the strength they, and the knowledge they have. They sail the boat. No one expected that a furious storm would come up and threaten their very lives. Right? How did they get across the other side? They did it. They got to the other side miraculously. They got to the other side supernaturally. Jesus calms the storm. And the scripture tells us that instantly they're on the other side. So they knew what. They assumed how. But they got there. Moses and the Hebrews at the Red Sea. All the people could see was that an Egyptian army is headed their way. And they're stuck between literally a rock and a hard place. They got the Red Sea behind them and the Egyptian army, the most powerful military force on the planet in that day, headed their way. And what did the people do? Man, they were mad at Moses. How could you, did you bring us out here to die? And if you read the text, you'll discover that Mo, they got into those circumstances, not out of disobedience, but out of obedience. Moses carefully followed the very specific directions of God. God told him exactly where to go, and Moses went exactly there. And in that place, in that place of, of specific obedience, he finds himself in an impossible circumstance. The Red Sea behind him and an army coming against him. And God made a way where there seemed to be no way. I'm sure that neither Moses nor anyone else there had in their game plan, had in their strategy of how we can work this out, that the Red Sea would part and they would go across on dry land. Right? The what was go where I tell you to go. The how, God was in the how. He parted the seas. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. In dark and painful times, it helps to focus on what God has said to do and instead of trying to figure out with our earthly human limitations, with our temporal limitations, just how it's going to come to pass. This text here in 2 Corinthians uses the language of the seen versus the unseen. The seen usually applies to logic, reason, empirical evidence, financial resources, and the like. The unseen pertains to the mystical, the spiritual, the supernatural. Oftentimes the apparent lack of empirical evidence or financial resources. Consider Elijah, Elisha's servant in 2 um, Kings 6, 2 Kings 6, verses 15 to 17. This is what the text says. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, Open the eyes, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, 
And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Yeah, I love that story. Isn't that awesome? The servant could see in the natural. He could see in the temporal. Well, Elijah, Elisha, he could see in the supernatural. He could see in the eternal. In our dark or difficult times, it's very important that we be able to see. That we be able to have that eternal, supernatural, mystical focus. Especially while making decisions. Our resources may, be as limit, may not be as limited as they appear to be. There very well could be many more for us than those who are against us. After all, <laughs> the God of the universe loves us, right? Okay, second point, soul versus spirit. In uh, one of John Paul Jackson's uh, courses I used to teach called Understanding Dreams and Visions, we taught on the body, the soul, the spirit. We refer to the soul as representing the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the spirit refers to wisdom, conscience, and communion, specifically communion with God, that place we connect with him. We are tripod beings made of body, soul, and spirit. And each have a God-given role to play in our existence. And... What we've discovered and what we would teach, and I still believe, is this, that the soul functions best when it is in submission to the spirit. The soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions function best when they are in submission to communion with God, to wisdom, divine wisdom, and to conscience. When the body rules, we have hedonism, right? The pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. That's when the body is, is ruling. Sometimes it's, it's not as um, fancy as all that. Ever stub your toe? <laughs> right? Stub your toe, that toe is suddenly in control of the whole body. It's screaming, it's got full attention. Right? Well, my knee been bothering me lately, right? Boy, it got my attention a lot more than it used to. When it was functioning normal, I never gave it a second thought. I just walked. Right? Now, now every step, it's like, hello, I'm here. Hello, pay attention to me. Hello, hello, hello. So when the body rules, we have hedonism. When the soul rules, we have humanism, an outlook or a system of thoughts attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. When the spirit rules, we have the kingdom of God. God's dynamic rule and reign. Now pain, when the body hurts, it wants to rule and control us. When the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions hurt, it wants to control us. It's in these times that we most need intimacy with God so that the spirit in us will rule over our body and our soul. Is that making sense? I'm sure, I'm hoping I'm giving you language to grasp it, because we all experience it, right? What happens when your feelings get hurt? Somebody offends you, or they insult you, or they reject you, right? Those emotions suddenly bubble to the surface, and, and they take over. And we can easily yield to anger, or rage, or bitterness, or resentment, unforgiveness. However, if, if we're in a place where our spirit is bigger than our soul, Imagine, imagine bubbles inside bubbles, right? If the smallest bubble is the body, then you got one a little bit bigger is the soul, and a really big bubble, which is the spirit, right? 
when, when the soul bubble is larger than the spirit bubble, the soul's going to rule. Our mind, our will, and our emotions are going to rule, one way or another. When the spirit rules, even if the soul gets offended, we're going to make spirit decisions. We're going to make decisions that are based on grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and love. That makes sense? Just another way of looking at it. Communion or relationship or intimacy with God is essential. It's essential at all times. I think it's especially essential in the dark days, in the hard times. Hebrews 12, verse 1, in the first half of verse 2 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amplified Bible says this, looking away from all that will distract, looking away from the pain that distracts us, from the darkness that distracts us, from the difficulties that distract us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The word fixed here, or fix, or fixing, means this. It means definitely and permanently placed. That's what it means to be fixed. Stable, steady, set. Not fluctuating, not easily moved. We used to live in a place, uh, Tri-Cities of Washington State. Fierce winds, I mean like crazy winds. We never lived in such a windy place before. And you could always know, you could always see when somebody new moved to town and they're putting up a fence around their property is that they would use four by fours. And you just kind of chuckle to yourself because you know that fence is coming down. There's going to, wind is going to blow and those four, that's how fierce the wind would be. It's going to snap those four by fours and that fence is going to be a few blocks away before the neighbor catches up to it. Anybody that lived in town for a while, they knew that you're going to dig a, a deep hole, you're going to pour cement, and you're going to put in galvanized or steel pipe instead of wooden posts. It had to be fixed in place to endure the winds that would come so that the fence would stand. That's what it means to be fixed here, to be that firmly set in place. I remember looking up the definition, I think it was in Webster's once. I think there's a hundred different, different definitions for the word fixed. But I like the one, I like the imagery of the, the fence post, permanently set in place, that no matter how strong the wind blows, that fence is not going to come down. I'd like my relationship with Jesus to be defined that way at all times, but especially in the dark times, in the difficult times, in the painful times. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is a helpful word picture for me. Nadine and I walk down the street. We, there's a pretty good likelihood that we're going to be holding hands. We just like to hold hands. We like to touch, right? And if we're holding hands without even thinking about it, it's instant, it's automatic that we walk in pace together, right? Our, our pace, our steps are synchronized, right? They're in sync. That's the image I like to have when I read these verses from Galatians chapter 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As I walk in the Spirit, I want to walk hand in hand with God. I want Him to set the pace and the tempo and the rhythm of our time together. 
I want to have rhythm and timing and tempo to the, to the life of the Spirit. I'm thinking if I can do that consistently in the good times, well, it might just be automatic behavior in the hard times. Right? Nadine and I have been together 40 years. As we walk down the street together, it's not like I have to tell her, hold my hand. Right? She knows instantly, automatically. It's habit. We're going to walk together, Tom's going to hold my hand. She also knows I'm going to walk on the outside, and she's going to walk on the inside, because that's how my mother raised her to be a gentleman, right? <laughs> and if we cross the street, I'm going to gently shift her to the other side. It just happens, right, babe? This happens. Why? Because we've done this in good times and bad. This is, this is the way we walk together. Well, I want to walk with God that way. Where there's, where there's a, a sense of, this is how we relate. This is how we always relate. No matter what the circumstances. I want to be synchronized to his heart. I want to be synchronized to his heartbeat. I think it's absolutely priceless. and can be greatly helpful to us in difficult times. Alright, so my third point. Earthly focus versus heavenly focus. Have you ever heard the expression I have? Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you ever, anybody ever heard that expression? Don't be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. And I think that phrase is a lie from the pit of hell. I think it's awful. I think it's a terrible phrase. I don't agree with it at all. Why? Because the scripture tells me something entirely different. The scripture speaks a truth different than that phrase. Scripture says in Colossians 3.2, Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Right? I don't know. Is there any wiggle room on that? Set your minds. Kind of like fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your minds on things above. It doesn't say instead of earthly things. It says not on earthly things. It doesn't say set your minds on things above primarily. And secondarily, you can set your mind on earthly things. It says set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You know what? When I'm in pain, I'm really paying a lot of attention to earthly things. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 communicate the same truth. I love these verses. I've used them often in different sermons, but <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah writes, speaking, God speaking through him, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think we would do well to set our minds on things above, and not on earthly things. Because his ways are so much better than our ways. But I have logic. I have reason. I have empirical evidence. I know, but God said. I remember when God called Nadine and I to go plant a church in West Virginia. We, we lived in New York our whole lives. We're in our early 30s. I was raised, and my father drove into his sons, get a good city job. That's, this is what we were trained to do. He said, because you'll have job security and good benefits. And all three of us listened to him. My brothers have had long, stellar careers in mass transit. And uh, I worked my way through the New York City school system as a school custodian. Now, it sounds like I was a janitor, but that wasn't the case. I mean, New York City school custodians had, had like six-figure salaries. <laughs> they made a lot of money. 
Right? We wore a, cert, a shirt and a tie. We had more authority and power in the building than the principal did. Now, I'm saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying this the way it was. It was a great job to get. I remember when I applied for the job, you had to take a test. And I think some two or 3,000 people took the test. I can't remember. It was in the thousands. And I came out number 162. I'm thinking, man, out of all these guys, that's pretty good. And even at number 162, I waited five years for my number to be called. So, so much in demand. So, so many people liked the job. And once you got in it, you never retired. You'd die at your desk. That's how the system. Because it was an easy job, you made a ton of money, and you were pretty autonomous. So the guys were in the lead. So I finally get called. I think I was 30 years old. And um, so I'm one of the youngest custodians in the system. I think there was, you could count on one hand the number of guys younger than me. And <clears throat> I had a skill for public speaking. The union was grooming me for a future position because they, they liked the way I could speak in public. Making more money than I ever made before. I had amazing benefits. Unlimited sick time. How, how, how do you get people unlimited sick time? It was just incredible. Incredible. And um, I remember one day I'm sitting at my desk, I'm 30 years old, and I'm suddenly grieved. Right? I'm at the zenith of my career at 30 years old. And God spoke to me. I knew that this, wasn't, we weren't, this was not going to be my final destination. And somewhere not long after that, God put it on our hearts to go plant a church in West Virginia. It was a 60% pay cut to leave the job I had and go move to West Virginia. My father thought I was absolutely crazy. He said, how could you do this? He said, what, you can't plant a church in Brooklyn? <laughs> I said, yeah, I could, but God said go to West Virginia. His ways were not my ways. He had ways that didn't fit neatly into human logic, reason, empirical evidence, you know, or financial budget. God had a different plan for us. And we followed him. And I have no regrets that we did. I needed to have a heavenly focus as opposed to an earthly focus. My father had all good intentions for me. He loved me. He used to, he used to love to come and visit me in my office. I think he just felt like great pride that he'd come and visit his son and, and we'd have lunch together. I liked when he'd come too. He couldn't understand why I'd give that up. As God said. Okay, so again, in dark times, in difficult times, we need to maintain a heavenly focus. How do we do that? Well, we engage with heaven. We spend time with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How do we do that? Practical ways we pray. Spend time talking to him. Let it be real. For me, worship works. When I'm having a hard time, I just grab my guitar, put it on my lap, grab some earbuds, pop them in, crank the music as loud as my head can take it, and just engage with him in worship. It really works for me. Other times, you know, I need to meditate on scripture, or I just need to let other people minister to me. Right? I just need to humble myself and say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm hurting right now. And in, the, in so doing, engage with heaven. Remember this. Our trials and our tribulations are not heavenly. They're earthly. Jesus said, 
in John 16, 33, out of the New American Standard, he said, These things I've spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. But take courage. I have overcome the world. In the dark times, I can overcome when I focus on the one who's seated in heavenly places. And scripture says that not only is he seated in heavenly places, we're seated with him. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. Oh, the power of a heavenly focus over an earthly focus. At all times, but especially in the hard times. Fourth and final point. A self-focus versus a selfless focus. In difficult times, it's helpful for me, it's helpful for us to fix our eyes on the prize. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 say, But one thing I do, Paul writes, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Like, this is what I've learned. The prize is this. Intimate friendship with Jesus. That's what the prize is. He's why we forget what is behind us. He's why we strain forward. He's, he is what is ahead. He's the goal that we press on to. Intimate friendship with Christ. It's the only true prize. I've learned that intimate friendship with Christ will help me maintain an eternal focus over a temporal focus. A spiritual focus over a soulish focus. A heavenly focus over an earthly focus. And a selfless focus over a selfish focus. Especially in those dark, painful times. Scripture tells us that God takes away to establish. Hebrews 10 verses 9. He takes away the first order to establish the second. The new wine, it requires a new wineskin. Forgetting the former things is a selfless act. Holding on to yesterday it really is an expression of selfishness. Passionately maintaining and protecting the old order while resisting the new order is just selfish. And, and the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, he's a really great example of this. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Meanwhile, Saul was breeding out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Do you get this? Right? Paul is so passionate about maintaining the old order when God himself has established a new order that he's not content to arrest Christians in his hometown, he's asking letters so that he can go far and wide and hunt down the Christians wherever they are, imprison them, bringing them back to Jerusalem. I mean, this guy's pretty passionate about maintaining the old. He don't want to let go of that old wineskin, does he? The text goes on to say, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Verse 8 tells us that when Paul got up from the ground, he was blind, and they had to help him into the city. And verse 17 and 18 tells us some more of the story. Then Ananias, a Christian brother that God sent to Paul, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Paul thought he was serving God when he wasn't. He was selfless, selfishly holding on to the old when God himself was doing something new. He needed, he needed someone to pray for him. He needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He needed for his eyes to be open. open. And in God's great mercy and grace, all those things happened because God from heaven instructed instruct them that they would. God intervened in, in Saul on the road to Damascus. God spoke to Ananias and sent him to go pray for the man. Maybe we need those things too. Maybe we need someone to pray for us. Maybe we need to be filled afresh and new with the Holy Spirit. Maybe there are scales in our eyes that need to come off. In dark and difficult times, I found it extremely helpful to be other-focused, to letting go of the old, embracing the new. Years ago, God spoke to me, and this is what he said. He said, Tom, hold loosely to people, possessions, and positions so that your hands might be free to catch what's coming on the wind. I tell you what, letting go of the past can be very difficult. Letting go of people or possessions or positions can be really hard. I've also learned that letting go of my hurts and my wounds from the past can be equally as difficult. I need divine help to let go. Letting go, if it's of hurts and wounds, if it's of people or possessions or positions, is a deeply selfless act. So in summary, as we navigate through dark and painful and difficult times, I really do believe that focus matters. It matters for you, I know it matters for me. Let us decide here and now to choose to focus on what's eternal and not temporal. Let's make the choice to focus on what's spiritual and not soulish. Let's choose to focus on the heavenly and not the earthly. Let's make the choice, to, the decision to focus on what's selfless instead of what's selfish. The really small picture is temporal and soulish and earthly and selfish. The really big picture, it's eternal. It's of the spirit. It's heavenly. 
and it's selfless. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends this morning. Help us to see the really big picture. Help us, Lord. Help us to focus on the eternal and the spiritual and the heavenly and the selfless. Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you. Unwavering. Fix our eyes on you, O oh God. Lord, I ask that you would heal the hurts. That you would remove the pain. That you'd lighten up the darkness. That you'd enter the circumstances. You'd overcome our tribulations. Do it, O oh God. Come and make a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, we thank you for who you are. I pray that we would yet again experience you as Savior and as Redeemer. And that we would experience your Lordship in our lives. Come in your majesty and your sovereignty and your authority. I pray for each of my friends that you, from your very throne, would speak into every circumstance, Lord. And if need be, speak what is not as though it is, with the same power and authority. When you said, let there be light, and out of nothing created everything, with that same power, Lord, speak into every heart, into every family, into each situation. Your creative, your declarative word. Come and do God-sized things. Come and do what only you could do. Like you did, Lord, for Elisha's servant. Like you did for the disciples in the boat. Like you did for Moses and all his Hebrew brothers and sisters at the Red Sea. Come and do God-sized things for us. Do it, Lord. Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys come back up and we'll finish off with a final song.